Well, good morning. I hope you guys are doing well today. As we get going, I want to make sure you've got your calendars marked for February 1st, which is the start of Awaken Evansville, which is a movement of prayer where we are joining with other churches and seeking to pray for each and every person in our area. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. We have more information about that out in the atrium. In fact, after service, Bill Altman will be out there to help you get signed up if you're not signed up yet. But we want to just remind remind you that you can sign up at blesseveryhome.com. That kicks off February 1st. Hope you will join that commitment to pray for those around us for the month of February. Now, today we are continuing this series, walking through the gospel of John. And as I was reading through this passage over the last couple weeks and just getting ready for this weekend, I was struck by one of my favorite things, which is to watch someone else be excited about something. I mean, it can be something completely unremarkable, but when someone's excited about it, you can just watch them and it's kind of fun to watch, right? And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about some of my favorite things that I get excited about that I try to share with other people. And at the top of that list is food, okay? I love food. So if it's an opportunity to share a burger and milkshake from Zesto with someone, that's a great day for me. Or if I have the opportunity to uh, maybe have someone over for pizza and I have the opportunity to get what is now my new favorite pizza, Steve's Una Pizza down on Washington. I love the opportunity to buy that and share that with others. I've already done that when my in-laws came into town and when some friends came over and we've just been in our house a couple of months. But I love that opportunity we have to share the experience of enjoying a meal together. Now, another thing that I really enjoy is reading books. I love books because they help shape and shift the way that I think to to better understand the world and how to live in this world. And so I've got this habit that anytime we're driving anywhere, I I try to find a used bookstore on the way. And one of my favorites is half price books. So a lot of times when my wife and I are traveling from here up to Indianapolis, I'll find an excuse to stop in Bloomington at the half price books outlet there because there most of the books are like $3 and under. So I'll stop there, grab a book. And my wife and I always have this interesting exchange at the check-in counter because we'll get there and she'll look at me and look at the books and say, don't you already own like half of those books? And I'm like, yeah, but they're great books to share with other people. I'll just give them away. Just, just trust me and I'll buy a few books that I own. And to show my wife that I actually do give away books every now and then, I've got two of them from, I've got two shelves on my bookcase in my office that are full of books to give away. So I've got these two books right here. I'm gonna set them down here. If you want it, you can come and get it right now after the message, whenever you want, just come and grab those books. Why? Because I wanna share this book with you guys. You guys are the only service not to grab a book, by the way. No pressure. But if anyone's feeling the urge, go for it. But this book is one that has helped shift my thinking to help me understand what's going on. boy, Reese. Good job. Way to be bold. <laughs> but books are things that help shape the thinking. Man, he's even generous giving it to someone else. Good work. All right. But books or food or things, these are opportunities to share and experience. So Reese, now we can share the experience of reading the same book and working through how it shapes the way we view the world. 
When we have things we get excited about, we love to share those with other people. So when we have a new baby, we often tell others, come and see, but don't touch, right? Because we don't want the flu to hit the kid. Or if we have some new art project or a recital, we say, hey, come and see my new art project. If we get a new car, come and see my car. And we invite people in. And whenever we say, come and see, we're inviting them into a shared experience. As we jump into John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51, we see Jesus inviting some of his first followers into a shared experience, into this journey of following him throughout their lives. As we see these encounters, we see that these guys are faced with some revelations of truths about who Jesus is. And they're faced with a question, how is it that they are going to respond? And I think we are faced with that same question. How will we respond to who Jesus is? Now we start off with John showing us the first really call or the invitation to us, which is a call for us to look to Jesus. It's a call for us to look to Jesus to see who he truly is and figure out how it is that we want to respond. Let's pick things up in verse 35 and read through verse 38 where John writes this. It says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Here we simply see a continuation of the story from last week as we see John the Baptist once again. And like Phil reminded us last week, Phil, or John the Baptist is not the author of the book of John. That's another John. But John the Baptist was one who came on the scene and who a lot of people thought was either some great prophet or maybe the Messiah himself, the one that God was sending to rescue his people. But John knew his call and he stuck to what God called him to do. He dedicated his life to pointing other people to Jesus. And we see in this scene that as this new day begins, it's like John can't contain his excitement. He sees Jesus coming and he says, look, the lamb of God, which is similar to what he said back in verse 29. Only this time he takes off the who takes away the sin of the world. And like Phil told us last week, this idea of Jesus as the Lamb of God has something to do with pictures we have in the Old Testament. We don't know exactly which one it is. We don't know if it's the picture of the Passover lamb in the Exodus story where God had his people sacrifice this lamb in order to rescue them from the coming judgment. We don't know if it's like the prophet Isaiah who pointed to this lamb that God would send to rescue his people from their sin. We don't know what it is, but what we know is at the very least, John is saying, look, here comes Jesus. He's the one that God has provided for you. He's the one that God has provided to take away your sin. In our passage, we are confronted with this question. How is it that we will respond to this call to look to Jesus? In this passage, we see Andrew and this other person who we think is probably John. The reason we think it is John is that throughout the gospel of John, there's one person who's not named, who's a prevalent disciple in all the other gospels, and that's the apostle John. So we think he's probably even the one who wrote this book. But we see that Andrew and John begin to follow Jesus. And at this point, by follow Jesus, we don't mean anything like super spiritual. By follow Jesus, we mean that he, they awkwardly walked behind Jesus trying to figure out what to do next. 
You see him walking behind Jesus. And it reminds me of how we sometimes act when we see famous people where you just kind of start walking and you're just kind of looking like, hey, I know you, you don't know me. I remember there was a time I was coming back from a mission trip in Haiti and I hadn't showered in like four days, but I get on this airplane and I look over and there was Marvin Lewis, who at the time was an NFL head coach and I'm a huge football fan. So I walked by him one time and then I kind of walked by again. I'm just kind of looking at him going back and forth because I don't know what to do. I just know there's someone I've seen on TV. He won a Super Bowl as the defensive coordinator in 2000 with the Ravens. I'm excited about seeing this guy. So I just kind of awkwardly walk there and that's the picture we have of these disciples in this scene as they start following Jesus until Jesus turns around and looks at him and says, what do you want? <laughs> but as Jesus turns to them and asks them this question, they, they don't really answer his question, but they ask him the question. They say, where are you staying? And I love this interaction because these guys don't know exactly what they should do, but they don't keep that from, from actually letting them do something, right? They don't know the perfect words to say to Jesus. They don't know the perfect way to maybe engage him, but they know they want to be with him. And I think we find ourselves in that position a lot, but sometimes we're not willing to take the steps to run after Jesus. Maybe that's what brought us here today. Maybe we're at a point in our life where we don't know what we need to do. We don't know where we need to go, but we know we need to do something. I think as we come on this journey and continue to look at the picture of Jesus, we'll see that Jesus is worth coming after and giving him a chance, even if we don't have all the answers yet. Now, as we see John point to Jesus as the Lamb of God, I think we are confronted with a question, which is, how is it that we are going to respond as people? And I think there are a couple of responses, a couple of ways maybe that you and I can join him on this journey of looking to Jesus. One thing I want to challenge you to do, regardless of where you are on your faith journey, if this is your first time in the church or you've been coming for a long time, is to come along with us on this journey through the book of John. But as you go on this journey, actually read the gospel of John for yourself and look at the picture of Jesus there. And as you do, I encourage you to ask yourself a couple of questions. First, does your view of Jesus need to be refined? The picture of Jesus that you have in your mind as you read the gospel of John, does it match up with your view or does it seem to be something different altogether? As you read the gospel of John, note what it says about Jesus and ask yourself, does this line up with what I believe about Jesus? Or do I need to change my view to better align with this? What does it mean for Jesus to be the lamb of God? What does it mean that he's the one that God has sent to take away the sin of the world? And the second question I'd encourage you to ask yourself is, are you looking to Jesus or are you looking somewhere else for fulfillment? Where is it that you're looking for fulfillment, for bringing ultimate satisfaction? Because I'll tell you, if you're looking somewhere other than Jesus, I want you to also ask yourself, how's that doing coming through? How is that actually bringing fulfillment? Is it doing what it says it's going to do? Or is it leaving you feeling like there's got to be something more? As these disciples take that step to ask Jesus, hey, uh, where are you staying? Here's Jesus' response in verse 39. He says, come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. 
You know, one of the greatest influences on my life personally as I've been on this journey of following Jesus was a guy by the name of Andrew Blumker. And Andrew was a, or is a minister at a church in Effingham, Illinois. But back whenever he was going to school, he came to Kentucky Christian University, which was in my hometown. And it was about my eighth grade year or so whenever he came and he started serving at the youth ministry that I went to at that point. And, and Andrew invited me into his life, even though I was just an annoying young teenager that would really get on his nerves quite a bit. He let me come and hang out with him and his friends, let me engage with him. And then whenever he he got married. He helped me come over to his apartment late at night and his poor wife, Mandy, dealt with me and my friends in their apartment right after they got married. But our friendship went well beyond that. Whenever I was um, finishing up my junior year of college and I needed an internship, I went and actually interned under Andrew at his church in Effingham. And when I did, Andrew and his wife actually welcomed me in to live with them throughout my internship. So for three months, I lived with him and it definitely wasn't a matter of convenience for them. They had an almost two-year-old Soren and she was six months pregnant with their next daughter, Tinley, but they still invited me in to stay. And what I loved about the opportunity is I think I learned more about what it looks like following Jesus in everyday life by living with them than I have at any other point in my life. Why? Because I saw Andrew outside of the church office. I saw how he and Mandy actually worked through their challenges in marriage. I saw what happened when your sub pump goes out in the middle of the night and you and your wife are having a tender, loving conversation about how the best way to fix it is or what the best next step is. I saw these two interacting and I learned a ton. I learned a ton on Fridays, my day off, as Andrew tapped into me as free labor to completely redo his landscaping. Why? Because when you're working with one another and you have maybe differences or something, you learn a lot about how to work through those things. And I was able to see that because I was with Andrew, not just in the church office, but in the middle of the stuff of everyday life. And we see this with Jesus, that this is the type of relationship that he desired with these disciples. He, they invite, or he invited them into a relationship in the everyday stuff of life. It says that they spent the whole day with him until 4 p.m. And we think he probably spent the, the rest of that night with him because they wouldn't have traveled late in the evening like that. They wouldn't have been on the road. So Jesus invited them in and said, hey, I actually want to be with you. I think Jesus still desires that same type of intimacy and the same type of relationship with me and you. So as we think about this invitation to come and see Jesus, I want to offer a couple of ways that we might do this in response. As we look to come and see Jesus, I think one thing that we may want to consider as a people is what would it look like to spend a day with Jesus? Now, as you look at your calendar over the next month, maybe you say, hey, one day a month or one day a quarter or just one day this next year, I'm going to commit a day to spend time with Jesus. What I'm going to do is I'm going to turn off my phone so that I'm not hearing from Fox News or CNN or Facebook or anywhere else. But I'm taking this day to say, OK, Lord, I need you to speak to me and I'm trusting that you're going to speak to me. What I'd encourage you to do is take your Bible and a journal because you're, what you're saying by having your journal there is, God, you really do speak and I'm ready to listen. 
But maybe for you, spending a whole day seems like way too much. If that's the case, take a morning. Take four hours in the morning. Turn your phone off. Have that time with Jesus. If that's too much, take an hour. Turn your phone off. Sit there alone. Say, Jesus, I need to hear from you. But whatever it is, spend uninterrupted time with Jesus and see how he begins to shape you. What happens whenever you start crowding out the other voices and you let Jesus actually speak to you? Now, I've been really challenged and also encouraged by my wife in this area over the last few months. Just a few months ago, she took a couple of days of PTO from here at church to go and actually spend time alone with Jesus. And as she came back, I was so challenged and also encouraged to hear how she was refreshed. But I was challenged because I was reminded that we make time for what's most important, right? So what sacrifices might you be needing to make or can you make to spend time alone with Jesus? If you are a couple and you have kids, maybe it means that one of you take the kids on a Saturday morning while the other one has this time and then you switch off a few weeks later and you just share that burden back and forth in order to make this time a priority. But whatever you need to do, make it a priority. The second thing I think we can do is is join a small group to get connected with a community of people who are seeking after Jesus. If you're one of our students, we're getting ready to kick off season two of our small groups. You can get connected by hanging around after service and seeing one of our leaders who will be right down here in the corner. Or you can go to cccgo.com forward slash families and click on middle school or high school and figure out how to join a group there as well. Maybe you're an adult and you want to get connected with the group. Go out to our Welcome Center after service. Let them get you connected with community. Maybe right now that doesn't work for you. If that's the case, I would encourage you to figure out maybe for you, you need to find a mentor or be a mentor to someone else. Maybe for you right now, it's not a group you need. You need someone to walk one-on-one with you along this journey as you figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus. If that's you, I'd encourage you to take that step, to be bold, to maybe even ask someone you know or come forward and ask us, hey, could you help me get connected with someone? Or maybe for you, what you need to do is actually take the step to engage someone else to say, hey, I've been at this a little bit longer. I'd love to commit time with you to walk alongside you on this road. I don't know what that looks like for you, but figure out what it looks like to come and see Jesus. Let's pick things back up in verse 40, read down through verse 44, where we see what happens next. So we see Andrew and John spending this time with Jesus, and it tells us in verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and to tell him, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Here we see a third invitation, and it's an invitation to actually follow Jesus. Taking this next step to follow him. Andrew was following John until he was pointed by John to Jesus. Then after spending some time with Jesus, Andrew immediately goes and finds his brother. And he makes a bold declaration to his brother. He says, hey, we have found the Messiah The idea of Jesus as Messiah is one of those key themes that runs throughout the book of John. Like Jeremy told us a few weeks ago, it's one of the purposes why John wrote this book. 
John says in John 20, 30 and 31 that he wrote this book that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. And I think the witness of Andrew highlights a couple of important points for us. First is this, oftentimes the most effective Christian testimony is the personal witness of a friend or a family member. The reality is that there are people in your life who will be much more apt to listen to you one-on-one sitting down over a cup of coffee or over a meal than they will be to listen to me or Phil or someone else from a stage. You have their ear and they are willing to listen to you. A second thing I think we can learn by looking at this passage is that oftentimes the greatest feat you have, the greatest impact you have on the kingdom of God isn't some big, great, supernatural thing you do, but it could be someone you actually bring to Jesus. Did you notice thing is in verse 40 there, how Andrew is introduced? Remember, Andrew is one of the first two followers of Jesus. And it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. It wasn't Andrew, one of the first followers of Jesus, but it was actually linked to someone else he brought to Jesus. That's how he was recognized. If you look throughout the gospel of John, you'll see that oftentimes um, Andrew isn't really mentioned at all or throughout any of the other gospels. But when he is, he's bringing someone else to Jesus. Meanwhile, Peter became one of the great founders and leaders in the early church. Andrew's great impact on the kingdom wasn't some great feat, but bringing someone else to Jesus. And I think the same is true for us. So parents, remember that your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be some great feat that you have, but it may be some kids that you raise and you point to Jesus. You're not wasting your time investing in your children. In fact, that is your primary call right now, possibly. That could be the greatest contribution that you have. If you are in the working force right now, your greatest contribution to the world may not, may not be some new account that you bring in, but it may be the way that you mentor and impact those around you because you show them that following Jesus actually changes the way you work. And as they watch you, they realize that there's something different going on and they come and they say, hey, what's going on? And you point them to Jesus. Students, it may be that your greatest contribution to the world isn't some great feat you have, but it's simply speaking the gospel to a friend and engaging them as someone who maybe wouldn't ever come into the church, but they are someone who would listen to you. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I know that that could be the greatest way you impact the kingdom. Now, when Simon begins to follow Jesus, his name is immediately changed to Cephas and Aramaic, which is translated as Peter in the Greek, which means rock. This isn't the first name change we see in the Bible. If you go back to the book of Genesis, you see that Abram, Sarai, and uh, Jacob all had their names changed to Abraham, to Sarah, and to Israel. You see these name change marked a change in identity for these people. And it's kind of funny to look at Jesus calling Peter or calling Simon Peter, calling him rock. Because if you look at Peter's life of following Jesus, he is anything but stable and solid, anything but something like a rock. In fact, he's often like the exact opposite. He's extremely unstable. He's always blown with the wind. He's all over the place. He's not exactly a rock. (laughs) 
But I love what D.A. Carson has to say about this idea with this call here. He says, this is not so much a merely predictive utterance. By that, what he's saying is, this isn't Jesus looking at Peter and saying, I see this great thing in your future. I see this great thing coming in the future if you just do a couple of things. Rather, it's a declaration of what Jesus will make of him. This is Jesus saying, I will form you into this new identity. I'm giving you a new identity. But it's not just saying, hey, you have this in you somewhere. Rather, it's him saying, hey, I will make you into this. I think it's important for us to hear as well. Maybe for you, the idea of being called a disciple or a saint or a follower of Jesus is just too much. That idea of of being a saint seems like something that's way above you. But the thing we see throughout the New Testament letters is the thing that people are called as soon as they come to believe in Jesus is saint. And I don't think that that's God's way of saying, I see this great thing in your future. Rather, I think it's God saying to us, hey, this is what you are because of what Jesus has done. And this is what I am making you into. He's forming something in us that we cannot form by ourselves. I'm reminded of the words of Paul in Philippians chapter one, verse six, where he writes to this church. He says, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Now, as we go into verse 43, we see that the next day they go on to this next town. And as they go into this next town, they encounter a guy named Philip. We don't know what leads up to this exchange. We just see that Jesus simply says, follow me. This call is a call to be a disciple. And a disciple is one who would attach themselves to a teacher. So Jesus is inviting him as he invites us to attach ourselves to him. Here's what it says in verses 45 and 46 about what it looked like for Philip to follow Jesus. Picking up in verse 45, it says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, Philip said. Philip responds to Jesus by immediately going and finding Nathanael. And this is a trend we see throughout the Gospel of John. When someone comes to know Jesus, they immediately carry the good news about who Jesus is to people around them. Whenever Philip finds Nathanael, he tells him, hey, we've found Jesus. He is the one that the law and prophets were talking about, which is a shorthand way of saying Jesus is the one who has fulfilled all of the Old Testament, all of those things that were said about the one who's going to come. Jesus is the one who fulfills this. He's making a claim about Jesus being the Messiah. (laughs) Now, in first century Palestine, if I were to be introduced to you, I would be Andrew of Grayson, the son of Bill. The way you'd be introduced is based upon your area where you kind of grew up and then the name of a respected father. And that would give you kind of some clout among other people. So what do we see here whenever uh, Jesus is introduced by Philip to Nathaniel? He says, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. (laughs) This wasn't very um, impressive to Nathaniel, was it? He says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Now, it's easy to be really critical of Nathaniel from the start, but I think we may want to start by giving him the benefit of the doubt. 
I mean, I think he's trying to be faithful to what God's called him to do. And so we see here in a minute that he's a a faithful Jew. So we see that he would have known that the Messiah wasn't supposed to come from Nazareth, but the Messiah was supposed to come from Bethlehem. So if Jesus was this great Messiah, it should have been Jesus of Bethlehem, the son of David or something like that. Why is it that he was introduced as Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph? Well, it's because even though Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he was raised in Nazareth. But what I love to see with Philip is whenever he's confronted with this question, he doesn't act like he has all the answers. He doesn't act like he actually has to have all the answers before engaging someone else. But whenever he's confronted with this question that he doesn't know the answer to, rather than saying, well, Nathaniel, if you would just pull out your Bible and go to the book of Malachi, you would see this little loophole for the Messiah. Or, well, if you pay attention to the form critical, like he didn't come up with all these crazy answers to what it might look like. He didn't act like he had to have all the answers. But when he was confronted with this question, he was just kind of like, I don't know. (laughs) Come and see. Can anything good come from Nazareth? I don't know, but why don't you come with me and see? Because I think that whenever you come to see this Jesus, you'll see that this Jesus really is that good. He kept it simple and he invited him to come and share in this experience with him. Now, I think these words challenge Nathaniel, but I think they're also a challenge or an invitation to us as well. Do you have a hard time believing that Jesus is who he says he is? (laughs) When Jesus is called the savior, the one who comes to take away the sin of the world, do you think, yeah, that may be true for someone else's sin, but my sin is just a little bit too much. Do you have a hard time believing Jesus is who he says he is? When it said that Jesus is a healer, do you think, yeah, that may be true for someone else, but me and my family, we didn't experience that healing whenever we came to Jesus. How can he be good if I haven't experienced this in my own life? I think the invitation to us is the same invitation Philip gives to Nathaniel. And that's like, I don't know, but come and see. I think as you encounter Jesus, you'll see that he really is as good as he says he is. I think you'll see that he really is that good. So I think that there is a way we can respond to this call to follow him. And it's a step that I think each and every one of us can take. And it's this, to take a step of faith that could make you look foolish. Take a step of faith that could make you look like a complete fool. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to ask you the question, when is the last time that you took a step in engaging those around you where you could have looked like a complete fool had they responded in a way you didn't expect or maybe the way you did expect? Have you put yourself in that position to actually look like a fool because of your faith in Jesus or have you just been kind of playing it safe? You know, you don't really bring up Jesus in conversations with others because they, they, they might be a little bit offended or they may be a little taken back. They may not want to hear about it. You may not ask if you can pray for that neighbor because, well, what happens if they say no? What would it look like to take a step to engage them? A step that could make you look like a complete fool. Again, this is the step we see Philip make. And whenever Philip is confronted with the question, well, how can this possibly be? He doesn't have all the answers. He just says, I don't know, but come and see. What if we began to live like that? What if we began to give people a chance to see that? 
You know, I think oftentimes we think that the people around us are looking for us to have it all figured out, to have all the answers or have it all put together when the reality is people are actually looking to see if the faith we profess is actually real to us. If we're actually honest about what we believe, they aren't looking for you to have all the answers. They aren't looking to me to have all the answers. They're looking for a vulnerability that we're often scared to show. So when we talk about this idea of being vulnerable, being authentic with others, I think what we're talking about is just showing them that our faith is real. So parents in the room, are you willing to show your kids that your faith is real by apologizing to them with no caveats? There's no excuses for why that sin took place. There's no excuses for why you did what you did, but rather you simply say, hey, I screwed up. Jesus is still in the the work of forming me into who I need to be, but that doesn't excuse the fact that I messed up and I'm sorry. You don't go on to excuse what you've done or to explain it away, but you simply say, I'm still in need of Jesus's grace too. What would that maybe do to begin showing our kids that our faith truly is real? Or students, what would it look like to you to begin respecting your parents in a way that maybe will catch them off guard to show them, hey, this Jesus thing is real. It's not because your mom and dad maybe earned this respect from you or because they're so deserving of it, but it's simply because of what Jesus has done in your life and you're willing to show them, no, I'm respecting you because Jesus really is doing something in my heart. What kind of impact could that have on the world around us if we begin to show that our faith is real? If you're a follower of Jesus and you're in the workplace, what would it look like to show that your faith is real by your integrity and your work ethic with those around you where they begin to see that you're not willing to cut any corners. You're not willing to take the easy way out, but you will stand for what's right no matter what. And then you can explain why. And it's because of Jesus. I love seeing in this passage how John the Baptist, Andrew, and Philip all just grab people to point them to Jesus as part of this following. They don't act like they have it all together, but they just show that Jesus really is worth following. Maybe you aren't a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're just on this journey. Well, if that's you, I want to encourage you to look at Nathaniel in this story. See, Nathaniel faced a choice. Nathaniel could have just stuck with the whole Nazareth. Can anything good come from there and passed it off and not given Jesus a real chance? He could have just kept moving on. So if that's you, if you're not there yet, I want to ask you the question, are you willing to give Jesus the honest chance or are you just going to write him off because of something else you've seen in history or maybe you've seen in someone else? Or will you actually look at Jesus as he's presented in John and say, okay, If I'm going to reject Jesus, I'm going to reject the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus that I have built up in my mind or maybe built up in someone else's mind. Regardless of where you are on your journey, don't wait to take a step. Be willing to look foolish because Jesus is truly worth it. We see in verses 47 and 48 that Nathaniel took Philip up on this offer. Here's what it says. It says, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. 
Jesus re-enters by making this claim about Philip, and it points us back to the Old Testament character of Jacob, who, again, his name was changed to Israel. He became the father of the Israelite nation. But, but Jacob, before his name changed, was, his name meant deceiver, and he lived up to that name. <laughs> But after his name changed, he became the father of this great nation. And, and now what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel is, hey, I see that you are a faithful Jew. You are one who is seeking to be a true Israelite. And that's good. But Jesus goes on to say something else. He shows some supernatural knowledge because he's, uh, Nathaniel says, hey, how do you know this? And Jesus says, because I saw you under the fig tree. We don't know exactly what was going on under the fig tree. We don't know what was happening there, but we know that Jesus's knowledge of him being under the fig tree, coupled with Philip's testimony about who Jesus is, leads to Philip completely changing his tune. Let's pick things up in verse 49 to see how Nathaniel responds. It says, then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open in the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Right here with Nathaniel, I think we see an invitation to a fourth response, and that is an invitation to worship Jesus. You see the response of Nathaniel in this message. He says, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And it's like it could be a song that we sing. It could be like us saying, Jesus, Jesus, you trample the darkness. Jesus, Jesus, the, the darkness trembles before you. Jesus, you're the light of the world. You, you knock away any darkness. Or we can say, Jesus, you are the king of my heart. Whatever it is, it's us proclaiming to Jesus. We see who you are. And that's what we see Nathaniel do when he sees who Jesus is. The authentic um, witness of Philip to Nathaniel led to an authentic encounter with Nathaniel and Jesus, which led to an authentic expression of worship by Nathaniel. We see this transformation happen. But Jesus let Nathaniel know that this is just a taste of what was to come. He didn't even know the full extent of what it is that he was professing. Just like Connor over here just got baptized and said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Today I make him my Lord, my savior. He doesn't know what all that means, but it's like Jesus says here to Nathaniel, it's gonna get better. It's gonna get bigger. It's gonna become more and more real. Jesus goes on to point back to Genesis chapter 28. Let's look at verse 51 one more time. It says, he then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. That points back to Genesis chapter 28, where we see this exchange where Jacob goes to sleep on a rock. And while he's sleeping, he has this vision of angels ascending and descending on this ladder from heaven to earth. And whenever he wakes up, he names that location Bethel, which means the house of God. Throughout Jewish history, it was understood as the place where heaven and earth meet. And Jesus tells him, hey, you're going to see greater things. You are going to see angels ascending and descending on the son of man saying that he himself is the place where heaven and earth meet. 
It's not this ladder. It's not this location in ancient Palestine. No, Jesus is saying, he says, I am the place where heaven and earth meet. I am that ladder. I am the way to experience the presence of God. And as he does, he shows just how incredible things were going to be in the future for Nathaniel. He invited him into experiencing the reality of who he is. And as he did, he reminded us of a powerful truth in the gospel. It's not about us building a tower big enough or, or louder, a ladder big enough for us to reach God. Rather, the gospel is about Jesus coming down, descending to come to be among us, to be, or to be the place where we can experience who God is. So as we see who Jesus is in this passage, I think we need to ask ourselves, what is our next step? You know, if you've been here the last few weeks and you've gotten one of the live and love like Jesus journals, um, you can pull that out now or you can grab one on your way out. If you don't have one, pull out your phone, use an envelope for offering in front of you. I don't care what you use to write down, but I want you to write down what it is that your next step is as you look to Jesus. Maybe for you, your next step is to look to Jesus. And what you're going to do is you're going to commit to actually just reading through the passages that we're going to be preaching through in the book of John. And you're going to write down who Jesus is revealed to be in that passage. And you're going to ask yourself, does my view of Jesus line up with what's written here? Maybe for you, your next step is to come and see Jesus. It's to spend some extended time with him. And what you need to do is make a commitment to look at your calendar and figure out when a day or a morning or an hour is where you are going to turn off your phone. You're going to turn off everything else around you. And you're just going to sit there with a Bible and a journal. And you're going to say, God, I need to hear from you. And I trust that you still speak. So would you speak to me now as I dig into your word? Maybe for you, your next step is to follow Jesus and to actually take a step where you could look like a complete fool if Jesus doesn't come through. Maybe for you, you just need to stop for a moment and worship Jesus in light of who he is. I don't know what your next step is, but I want to encourage you to commit to taking that now. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for being a good God. God, I thank you so much for the truth revealed in this passage about who you are. God, I thank you for the reminder that you are worth looking to, that you sent Jesus to rescue us and that he invites us to be with him, to follow him. And when we do, we will be drawn to worship. God, would you reveal to each and every person in this room right now, joining us online, God, what our next step is in following you? And would you give us the faith to take that step? God, we thank you so much for your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.